0: Oh. What's up, everybody? It's Brian from the Security Squawk podcast. I'm here with Reginald Andre from a top-secret location who's going to mute his mic because I think we're getting his feedback. I don't know. That reverb was, was pretty <laughs> sweet on the end. I don't know. It's like the remix. <laughs> <laughs> Brian Harris from Sphinx Cybersecurity and Randy Bryan from Tech Rescue. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. Another... Another free-for-all where we talk about cybersecurity and whatever else we want to talk about to help educate you. Let me mute my phone about all the threats out there and what you can start doing and protect yourself. So we don't annoy you with ads and all that stuff. So we're just going to kind of let you know what our fee for the show is. Rye? What's the fee for the show?
1: The fee for the show is to like, subscribe, and share. Uh, the important thing is just sharing this out. Uh, one of the biggest uh, struggles we have within cybersecurity is just getting people to understand how serious it is and that it is bad out there and you need to protect your yourself and your business. Uh, so share this uh, with anybody that you know that may uh, be a decision maker, uh, business leader, a uh, business owner. Uh, they need to know this information so they can make the proper business decision for themselves.
0: That's right we don't give up our precious valuable time to bring you this information for you not to pay the fee so pay the fee we don't annoy you with ads or commercials or any of that shit. we just ask you to share our stuff that's all so guys we're going to talk about quite a few topics today it's going to almost be like rapid fire to try to get this in 40 45 minutes or so um but we got to talk about this exploit this vulnerability that's running rampant right now. There's no patch for it. It is a zero day, but it's like day 10 of zero day. Um, Microsoft, known as Folignia, uh, it is a uh, vulnerability. It's being exploited, as I mentioned. We're going to get into that and let everybody kind of know at a high level what it is and what you probably shouldn't be doing on your computer right now because if you do, you're going to end up potentially getting this thing. And the scary thing about it is is it's one of those things that like can just happen without much clicking or much like letting things in like you're used to like yes I want to allow this well that doesn't really happen with this. So stay tuned. Uh Costa Rica they're in it a couple different ways right now. I mean, they're kind of being used as a pawn by cybersecurity groups which is wild if you think about it that a private, you know, criminal group is basically able to uh, troll. <laughs> so we're going to get into that. There's a city over in Italy that's also dealing with a major cyber attack. So we're going to kind of talk about like, you know, could this start creeping into the U.S. where major cities are, are dealing with ransomware attacks? Um, and then we got a, a a retreat, I guess, if you want to call it that, um, where cyber criminals are starting to realize that maybe – maybe ransomware is not the best route to go. So we're going to let you know what they're thinking about changing to, which really they've been doing all along. It's just that people just don't think about it like ransomware. Ransomware is like more exciting or sexier than, you know, some other things that cyber criminals do that are actually more lucrative and they make more money off of. So we're going to fill you in on that. And then we got this, this Q bot. What is this, Ryan? Help me out here. The Q-bot's like uh. It's kind of like Trickbot, right? Am I yeah, right? It's, it's, it's
1: basically a story about um, different uh, uh, groups kind of merging together, combining forces mm-hmm. to uh, to be able to spread this even faster. Right. Mm-hmm. So
0: it's, it's kind of like a new flavor of Trickbot, you know, automated way to kind of hack your systems and get the tools that these guys need on, kind of like auto dialers for cyber criminals. Uh, so we're going to talk about that. And then we're going to talk about. Some interesting statistics from the healthcare industry and how much of a target and how bad of a job you're doing at cybersecurity. So, if you're in healthcare, stick around or fast forward to the end of the show because you're going to want to hear some of this stuff. All right. So, let's get right into it, guys. Feline, as it's pronounced, right? Um, major issue for Microsoft, I have to say. Um, I'll kind of. I'll chime in if you guys don't fill in the kind of the nitty gritty details of kind of what I know. But at the end of the day, let's start educating people on what this is. So at a high level, why should I be worried about this this particular vulnerability? So it is a zero day. If you don't know what a zero day is, it means that somebody figured out a vulnerability that hasn't been fixed yet. So Microsoft is now scrambling to put together a patch um, and that's really kind of where I'll kind of leave it to the rest of the guys to talk about what the hell this thing is. So first off, how can I get this virus? If I'm a user sitting in front of my computer, how do it's, I know that how do I know that I what should I not be doing or what should I be looking out for?
2: Well, I mean, it's it's not really a, a virus per se as much as a vulnerability um, in one of Microsoft's tools. And if, from a super high level, basically this vulnerability, if if they, um, and it's there. So if they're able to access it, then they're able to take on the privileges of whatever app they use to access it. So if you're running. Before we go
0: there, like, yes, sir. I'm a user. Okay. I was just going to be presented to me. Like, like what, what do I need to be looking for? Like where go back to, you know, that's already after, after I did everything and clicked on stuff that, that you're talking about. I mean, how am I going to get this? Like, is it coming through my email? Am I getting it through a social media link? Like, what the hell should I be looking for?
2: I mean, it's a vulnerability in Microsoft Office. So, if you have right. Office, you have the vulnerability.
0: Correct. So, if you two things have to be true, right? You have to be on a Windows computer because this does not affect affect Mac OS, right? So, we don't want to alarm Mac OS users that have Office on their computer. And you're, and- you're still safe today. That doesn't mean you're safe forever. Um, Second thing you have to have, you know, you have to have Office, right? So Windows, Office on a Windows system. Um, And, you know, you you can get an email,
2: right? That's number one way right there. Usually
0: it's coming through an email, but it can come through different ways, right? You could, if you're doing random Google searches and you're going to websites you don't know about, somebody could implant one of these files right on there. Um, Depending on your settings on your system, Office may or may not block this because it's being downloaded from the internet. Office tends to do a good job with blocking things that are downloaded off the internet. It doesn't do the same thing for things that come through your email. Um, So, you know, it doesn't really put a block on these files when you download an attachment through Outlook. Um, And sometimes users just go and turn these types of settings off because they're annoying to them. So your machine could potentially not block stuff that you could download from the internet. So it really doesn't matter how this comes in. Cyber criminals are massively upticking their phishing attempts right now. There's massive amounts of phishing emails going out there with links to or attachments, right? So it doesn't have to necessarily be an attachment on the email. It could be a link that goes to a website that contains the attachment or, or gets you to, you know, open the file in a certain way. So, what else do we know about this? Like certain things, you know, one of the things that I know about this virus is, or this vulnerability is that a user doesn't have to do much. So what what are some things that, you know, could be present on a system that people should maybe be, be disabling today or looking out for um, so they don't become a victim of this?
1: I mean, there's definitely some workarounds that have been posted to, to kind of block the access to, to the vulnerability um, in this situation. Um, a lot of the, the tools that, that we use within security um, have been updated to look for this type of thing and stop this stuff. Uh, to me, this is, this is ultimately a, a situation of having good hygiene. We talk about the, the end user kind of being the, the most risky part of the equation in most cases not opening uh, or downloading documents um, that you, that are coming from places that you are not aware of or, or trusted sources is, is really the number one way to kind of stop and curb this right off the bat.
0: So the other thing that I found interesting about this particular vulnerability is that uh, I think a lot of users or a lot of people out there are used to like an order for something to bad to happen on their system they kind of have to give it permission they have to like that box pops up saying mm-hmm. do you really want to do this and the user either clicks yes or no most people just click yes because they, they want to open the file and they want to you know see what their friend sent them or whatever right so the interesting thing with this particular one is that none of that has to happen mm-hmm. they just need to get this file onto your computer and there's a couple ways that this can happen Without you really having to do much. Number one, if you use that preview pane in, in in Outlook or File Explorer, that can trigger this vulnerability without you needing to do anything at all. And it you just need to have that file opened up. So what does that mean, right? What does that look like? If you're a user of Outlook, you have you have your normal email that pops up on on the right hand side and your preview pane, or wherever you have it. Maybe you still have it down below, like old school, and as soon as you click on view attachment, right, that attachment opens up in that in that preview pane as well. And that's just the same as opening up that file by double clicking on it. Same thing in, in File Explorer. A lot of people like to click on the file and see that preview pop up on the right of the file. It does the same thing. It literally opens the file in that preview pane without you having to double click on it. And that's the big deal, in my opinion, with this vulnerability is that it's so easy for a user to make this thing run, um, you know, by simply just disabling these two things on your system for a little while until there's a patch is a really smart move, in my opinion. You know, I don't know if you guys read that or saw that, but that's kind of what I took from it. And then we can kind of jump into some of the workarounds that they mentioned, because I i kind of want to take issue with that too so anything else you guys want to add to you know what i just threw in there
1: i think that's a good point because i think a lot of people assume that using the preview feature for a document is is a way of testing it to see if there's anything bad taking a look and see if it looks good Um, in your case that's it's just as just the same as opening it so yeah
0: and a lot people don't have that awareness and you're 100 right that people do use that preview pane to like kind of determine what the heck that file is but really is no different than than opening it up and double clicking on it so again the scarier thing you don't have to give permission you don't have to put in an admin password you don't have to give it elevated rights, ual you know say yes i want to run this i want to allow this this thing just happens and the, and the hackers have figured out a way to basically inject a, a lot of garbage into a legitimate command that then confuses the system and allows the attacker to then take control of it. So it's, it's, really, it's really, interesting in the book. It is one of the oldest tricks in the book, but is it, it is interesting how they kind of figured this out. Yeah. Like, you know, you can run, you can run this uh, particular this exploit without all the garbage code and it won't run. Right. The, the big requirement of this from a technical standpoint and I know you know we're not trying to go there on this show but the really interesting thing to me is is that this works when you dump in the garbage information uh, into the system and overwhelm it right um, with more data than it's programmed to consume uh, and then the, that opens the system up to a vulnerability guys this is exactly why zero trust is important and why it needs to be implemented. Because- <laughs> You have things like this where the systems can be tricked and confused into doing and manipulated into doing things that they're not designed to do. And there's cyber criminals all over the world every day trying to figure out ways to make things like this happen. Make Windows operate in a way that it wasn't designed or an engineer didn't fully expect that somebody would actually do that. Like shove you know, hundreds of lines of code that are just A's, the letter A, to to basically inject that into, you know, a normal part of the computer processing. And when somebody did that, they figured out that they were able to then, you know, trick the system, confuse it, and 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 basically get God mode of the system. That's literally what's going on here. So uh, go ahead.
3: Oh, yeah, and the scary part is wait till this mutates when when they're starting to send legit files, like files you're expecting from a supplier Uh or customer that has that document. And now you're opening it, and you're looking at something that's legit, and it's got some code in the back that's now spreading through your systems.
0: It's a great point, Andre, because you highlight there the fact that every day that this goes by, I would venture to say that hundreds of businesses are, are being attacked without their knowledge. They have what we call advanced persistent threats, gaining a foothold on their systems every single day. And that's all they care about right now. Get access to as many networks as we can while this thing's still going, right? And then there's going to be people that come out and patch this thing early on. And there's going to be people that never patch for this thing. Right. So they're going to be able to, you know, after the patch comes out with this thing, they're going to be able to continue to exploit it. It's going to be one of the it's going to be one of the things that the FBI adds to their list in the next couple months for known exploits that are actively being exploited by cyber criminals. It's going to be built into TrickBot, QBot, you know, Cobalt Blue. It's going to be all. It's going to be built into all that stuff, right? So to detect it and and then automate the the ability to um, exploit it right on the spot. And you know, right now is the name of the game. Get as much territory as we can while we can. And then once we have access, when we create other backdoors for ourselves, so we can get in other ways. And then you know, once they realize that, that the game of getting access using this vulnerability is over, then that's when we're going to start seeing a bit more business email compromise, more ransomware happening, and that's how this is going to play out. So real quick, I want to jump into um, kind of the workarounds that Microsoft has suggested around this, right? Because right, we don't have a patch. Here's some things you can do to kind of prevent <laughs> this stuff. But you know, I'm, I'm not going to kind of spoil the well too much here, but in my initial look at what they're recommending... <sighs> I, I just, you know, we have two jobs here. We have to secure the network, but we also have to keep businesses running. And we don't, and our clients, you know, don't want us putting things out there that are going to hinder their ability to do business, right? To make software applications not work, not talk to one another. And the workarounds that Microsoft is suggesting kind of, you know, put you in that situation where you got to figure out if I apply this, will you know, my environment's applications continue to operate like all the employees expect. Um, we personally here, you know, we've decided that we're not going to follow Microsoft's recommendations because there's just not enough of a testing environment and enough time to test this stuff to determine whether if we do this, is it going to break something else? Um, and, you know, it's just not a feasible way to get around this problem. So we're not taking any of the Microsoft recommendations, but we are building in our own um, precautions, you know, disabling the preview, putting in rules around zero trust, things like that that are protecting our clients. So I don't know, that's kind of was my initial take when I first saw what they wanted us to do. I was like, ah, now nah, we're going to tackle this our, our own way. I don't know how you guys handled it in your company, but that's kind of how we looked at it. Yeah, the, the suggestions
3: Microsoft said to do in the registry and things like that, we're, we're not going to be touching. We're, you know, yeah. we, we're going to be operating um, the zero trust model, and that should take care of it.
1: Yep. Same here. It reminds me of the, the print vulnerability from last year where you know the, yep. the Microsoft solution was basically to make your, you know, a, a major functionality of your computer useless.
0: Right.
2: <clears throat> That's the exact same thing I was thinking. So,
0: Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, yeah, there is, uh, you know, this, this write up by Microsoft on what to do, but it's like, it's going to be at the detriment of Mm -hmm. being able to do business and your employees are going to be annoyed. And, you know, the last thing we want to do is we don't want to annoy the people that Mm -hmm. we support and serve. Right. And we're trying to do this a smart way. Um, and that's kind of where things are at right now. So we'll update everybody next week. Hopefully there'll be a patch out next week. Maybe I don't maybe. know. I'm I think the important
1: it. thing here, though, is is too this, this to me highlights the importance of having um, IT within your business. The Microsoft advisement is is really what you would have to do if you didn't have other tools like zero trust and things you know in your environment. That's your only option then is to, to disable that kind of stuff. So if you want to have a business and keep it protected and be able to function, that's that's why you need IT who can who can make those decisions, who have those tools and can can come up with a solution that that solves both problems, not just shuts things down until a fix is found.
0: Yep. So just a quick heads up, guys. I'm gonna switch gears a little bit and I'm gonna just talk about the Costa Rica government held up by ransomware again, and then we'll jump into a bigger discussion on, you know, what could actually be happening with this. So, you know, th- this happens, guys. It, and then you, it, this just isn't, and, and we're, we're, what I'm talking about here is the Costa Rican government was held up by ransomware again by the Hive ransomware group after they got hit by Conti roughly three weeks ago. Um, so, and the important thing is, is that as business people, you should understand that when your company gets hit don't think that other ransomware groups aren't turning their sights on your company thinking that you're an easy target right if one company was able to get in another company was able to get in the other thing we really haven't seen and when i saw this this is kind of a thought that crossed my mind we talk about this ransomware as a service where you know they're outsourcing the the you know people that break into the networks right so what's the stop if I'm that guy, right? If I have a business and my, I'm really good at getting breaking into people's networks and then I reach out to ransomware groups and sell my services, what's to stop me from selling my services to multiple ransomware groups? Right? So I can get into various networks, but you know, I maybe I give you access to 30% of what I have access to, I give to one group and then I give another group the other 30%, another group, another 30%. You know, that that is a real threat. That is a real thing that I don't think people are really talking about yet. Um, And I wouldn't be surprised if that's what happened here. Um, I don't think this was a reinfection of the same uh, network. I think this I think the same group knew how to get into certain systems of this government. And when they got access to another area, they sold it to a different ransomware group. Um, what do you guys think about that? Absolutely, and I, I think
1: this—you know—another angle here too is, is something that we see a lot, where you know a smaller business gets hit and they don't do the proper forensics and incident response <clears throat> to where they they get things back up and running, but they haven't actually cleaned out the attacker in the first place. So that that attacker is still there with a foothold, and then can easily, like you said, sell this to to sell that access to somebody else, and that's why we see. Uh, the, the percentage of, of companies getting hit for a second time it, it jumps up if you've been hit a first time you know you're much more likely to get hit a second time.
2: I think it's like 80%. Yeah. Okay. So high's asking for
0: five million in Bitcoin to unlock the infected systems. Um I did, you know, God.
3: Yeah, No, I said I did the conversion. I don't know if they just mean five million in Bitcoin
0: or five million, $5 million in Bitcoin dollars in Bitcoin. Yeah five million dollars oh, okay. in Bitcoin. They want, to, okay, okay. They want to money, obviously, paid in Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, but, you yeah, know, the last kind of, and I, and I really didn't read this article before I made my comments, the last paragraph here. Ivan and Conti weren't known to be acting together in any way, but MSOF ransomware analyst Bart Callow told the AP that there was probably some, someone coordinating between the two groups. And that someone is an advanced, persistent threat person who knows how to get into people's systems. And he's selling the access that he has to different groups, making as much profit as he can for his efforts. Because quite frankly, it's probably the hardest part of the whole deal is getting into somebody's network. You know, once somebody's in there, it's easy to deploy the ransomware. Um, So let's just keep talking about Costa Rica. Andre, I'm going to bounce this one off you to to start. Um, So they are basically, there's this kind of chatter out there that, this Costa Rica attack was a was a farce for Conti to kind of move and rebrand. What the hell does that even mean? And like, what what's going on here? Yeah. So
3: my understanding is Conti is related to the Russian, um, the you know Russia, and they're trying to obviously disassociate themselves with Russia as far as any type of payments and things like that. And um, so now they're mm-hmm. they're using a different name. I don't mm-hmm. know how how true that is. Um, kind of to what. What you said, it's just possible that they just sold it to um, different people using the different things. Um, but that's what I know about it.
0: So, I mean, it's interesting because I think we did touch on this a little bit in the last show last week. But the, the whole all ransomware group rebranding thing, and correct me if I'm wrong, I thought we talked about it but the whole ransomware group rebranding thing has kind of been a modus operandi for these groups the last couple of years and and they need to change and they need to move and hide and and move around. Otherwise they're going to get caught. Right. You know, it's, it's like being a sitting duck almost uh, if, if they don't do this stuff and it's too easy for, I think they realized a couple of years ago, it's too easy for the feds, especially the United States government to track these guys down if they don't move around both digitally and physically, right? So they're not only are they moving, you know, Bitcoin wallets and servers and places that they operate from, you know, in terms of their infrastructure, but they're also physically moving throughout, you know, Europe and Russia to, to, you know, basically hide from authorities and figure out where they're working from and where they're operating from. So what do you guys think? I mean, do you think that that's really what's going on here? Do you think it's just kind of like – I mean, I personally think it's a co- it's a coincidence that they hit Costa Rica and then they did this. It wasn't a cause and effect type of thing. This would have been done around this time anyway because, you know, Conte's been on fire since December, you know, in my opinion, probably a little bit even before that, probably since last October. So six, eight months of being one of the most prolific ransomware groups uh, out there, you know, doesn't bode well for not, you know, staying under the radar, not getting caught. So I just I just think it's coincidence. I don't think it has anything to do with the Costa Rica thing being kind of like a a smokescreen for them to do this. It would have happened anyway. Ryan, you're muted. You're muted.
1: Putting a, a, a being big like that puts a big target on your back too. Dude. So, so yeah, part dude. of the the, the rebranding and, and breaking off into separate chunks is you know instead of having one giant organization with a big target on its back, you've got a bunch of little ones, which makes it harder to track. And and uh, you know you, you tend to lose focus when you've got you know twenty of them to go after as opposed
0: to one or two. Yeah. So I remember last week we talked about a, a town in New Jersey. Somerset that got hit, and it just it's interesting to me that all these state, local city, countries, these governments are are getting hit, and I you know, I can only look at that as an outside observer and say that, you know, a lot of these governments are not doing enough, and, and these cyber criminals know it. These cyber criminals, you know, they know when, when they know they have a soft target, they they go after. It's no different in anybody's businesses. When you know you have a good revenue stream, you're, there's an industry that needs your services. It's only smart that you continue to go to other similar businesses in that industry to to sell your services. And there's it's no different with cy- cyber criminals. They know when they start hitting cities and states and towns that a lot of these governments are doing things the same way, which, you know, make which means that you're making it easy for them. So it's not a U.S. problem. It's a world problem, um, you know, and it seems like to me, especially with governments, that this is very, very reactionary, that they're not very proactive when it comes to cybersecurity. And I get it because they run off taxes and they have to justify spending this money on these things to their constituents and I think that that's where the, the kind of, you know, quandary comes in is because, you know, if you're a town that's never been hit, maybe maybe the town hasn't even been hit a thousand miles around you, right? Like in my town, we can point to a county that's one county above us to say like, look, look what just happened to them, right? Um, not everywhere can do that. Not everywhere can point to, a, a you know, a close, you know, town or, or relate it to where it hits home, to where people are going to be saying, oh, yeah, that's a good use of our tax dollars to go spend that much money on cybersecurity. And unfortunately, I think the way it manifests itself and when it, you get more buy-in, when you actually get attacked, um, we we saw it, you know, I think of Baltimore County in Maryland, the amount of money that they're investing in cybersecurity now, you know, pri- versus when you look at prior to their, to their ransomware attack um you know they were they did a horrible job at cybersecurity. they had very little budget dedicated to it now they they're spending millions of dollars shoring up their cyber defenses because they don't want a repeat of, of what happened in their county so you know here we go again and uh andre and me or you and i are kind of taking this one on so Can you give the the viewers the details here of what's going on in Palermo, Italy? Um, How were they hit? Who hit them? Do we know any of that stuff?
3: Yeah, so Palermo is uh, the fifth largest uh, city in Italy. Um, They have about 1.3 million people, and they they get a lot of tourists. So keyword tourists, they're they're getting a lot of dollars coming in there. So uh, kind of what you were saying, Byron, I don't know kind of an excuse at this point for a lot of these places, you know, it's kind of like you get hit and then now you want to spend a lot of money. It's like, if you're getting the money, you need to spend the money on the security. So as we start to see even more of these cities kind of get hit, I like even today, um, I was thinking about when I was going through the immigration of where I'm passing through right now um, for my vacation and they still have Windows 7 computers at the immigration center, like, come on, like at some point, it's got to be it, it's your fault. So, anyways, sidetrack, but back to the uh, back to this here. So, Randy, um, there's, there's
0: U.S. Down. government, there's U.S. state governments. It's still Windows Seven computers.
2: Wow. Last time I was at the hospital, they had a, I think it was an XP computer that was running. Oh boy! Wow. But anyway, sorry. Mm-hmm. Go ahead.
3: <laughs> yeah. So we have. Um, so yeah, they have basically been down for three three days. Anything that relies on their um, that relies on the technology is down. So we're talking about their police operations, all their municipality services. They're going back to the fax machine to be able to communicate, and all of the the government services, for museums, theaters, reservations, sports facilities, everything is um, shut down. And, yep,
0: that's a great. Uh... You know, it's great that you pointed that out because it's one, one thing I will say for at least in the U.S. and the attacks that I've studied. At least we're not giving them the holy grail like these other countries like Costa Rica and and now the city of Palermo. I mean, to have the systems you mentioned attacked along with the police, you know, at least when I see the ones in the U.S., the police aren't getting attacked along with like the municipal government. It's usually like one side of the house versus the other, not to say police departments don't get attacked, but it seems like we've done a good enough job of segregating things probably more so from a business standpoint than a, than a cybersecurity standpoint. Um, But it's, 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 it's at least gives me a little bit of comfort to know that we don't see massive attacks in the united states where they wipe out everything all in one shot and it's just just a little difference I've, I've observed between what happens here versus what might happen in other countries so just a warning to kind of everybody to learn from this right learn that you need to do a better job of segregating your business interests so you know again like i say all the time if you're marketing person opens an email and clicks on something that shouldn't take down your operations. Right. And you should be setting up your networks in a way where, you know, if marketing person does click on something and does something bad, it only affects the marketing department, not the whole entire company. Anyone else want to add anything on
2: that? I would just definitely agree with what you said there. I mean, the goal, I, I always use the analogy. We want the, the, the bad guys to feel like they're running in chest high mud. So they get into the network. Um, we want to do everything we can to slow them down, um, make it not fun, not, you know, not interesting, not easy to move around in the network. Um, that way, um, you know, you make yourself also a less uh, tasty of a target, if you will, um, by, uh, by doing those things.
0: Right. And they're all tasty right now because they don't do those things. So it's tasty. They're tasty and they're very successful. Well, you know, so I don't know. It's wild. So, Randy, we're going to jump into uh, into this ransomware return on investment retreat. And basically, you know, at at a high level, I'm going to introduce kind of the topic. And you can go into details. But what we're kind of going to talk about here is like, as, and this is no different from we, what we talked about for years on this on this chat, on this podcast, is ransomware, because of the, the focus of cyber defenders, is and a lot of people is on ransomware, ransomware is going to become less attractive to cyber criminals. And I've been saying this, and we've known this for a long time. That's not going to stop cyber criminal activity. That's not going to stop cyber crime if ransomware goes away, because there's plenty of other ways that these guys can make money. And Randy's going to educate us on that a little bit today. Um, So what are some ways ransomware groups or or cyber criminals can make money outside of of deploying ransomware?
2: Yeah, so this is a really, really interesting article, like you uh, just said. Um, because of crackdowns and things like that, it's getting harder to get a great return on investment for ransomware. And so what we're seeing is a shift towards BEC attacks. That's what the cool kids call business email compromise attacks, basically attacks that, that initiate with an email, but they're not, it's not like it's just They send you an email and you click on it. I'm going to go into that just a little bit here in just a second, but it's a lot more complex than that. Um, And it's really a huge vulnerability. And, you know, it doesn't make the news a lot, but these attacks actually um, get about one out of three dollars that are taken in cyber cyber crimes. So they're 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 actually very prominent as it is. But it really looks like it's, it's going to really uh, crest up here, a trend up um, in, the, in the coming months, especially. So it's crazy. The, the number one BEC email attack still to this day is gift cards. You get an email from your boss who says, you know, I'm in Cancun for the afternoon. I lost my wallet. Can you go to Palais Royal? and give me a $500 gift card. Because we all know there aren't any of those in Cancun, but somebody down here is taking them, blah, blah, blah. And people fall for it. And the thing is, as long as people still fall for those things, we're gonna still see them as being a popular form of attack. But what's really up and coming right now um, takes it to a whole nother level where they they uh, post as external business contacts which we've seen that we've seen that they're taking over old domains. We had a whole show about that using an old domain. That's somehow they got, they got a hold of that's considered safe. And then they reach out, what they're doing is impersonating themselves as business email contacts. They get into the network. We talk about this all the time. They get in and they just start gathering intelligence and then they learn how you do your direct deposits. They learn how you do, your invoices. They get a hold of your aging reports and find out who owes you money that they can reach out to and pretend to be you. And they build this evidence. And then next thing you know, they start acting on it and they start doing things like getting direct deposits, getting people to pay to their, you know, their account, even though they're acting like they're you. Um, we're go- th- This takes a lot more. Here's my here's my thing. Why I think it's now cresting because I think it takes a lot more interaction from people. It takes a lot more interaction from people. It's not all automated. It's kind of an art. People have to be involved in here to gather the intelligence, to build the profile, to make those decisions. But the other ROIs going down on cyber on, on ransomware and so it's going to push people in. You, you always can just say, where's the money? You follow the money, that's where the criminals are going to be. But that's basically the gist of what this article's talking about.
0: Well, it's also because they're refining their tactics over time to, to go undetected on the network for long periods of time or long enough to where they can collect the information. Um, and, and that's just the name of the game. Their, their ability, their R&D is improving and evolving. And they're looking for ways that they can use other tools because they know the days of ransomware are numbered. Now, I'm not saying ransomware is going away, you know, anytime soon, but the writing's on the wall that, you know, this problem is going to get, you know, pretty well tamped down um, as, you know, there are companies that are being injected with venture capitalist money like crazy to sell tools and things that prevent ransomware so this is a big market this is a big thing and the more that happens the harder it is it's going to be so these guys have to figure out other ways to make money um you know crypto mining is is another way that they're going to make money down the road where you know without your knowledge they're mining cryptocurrency things like that right so Anything you guys want to add, Rainy? Thank you. You did a great job of kind of detailing every nook and cranny of, of that whole situation there. I don't have too much to add. You guys have anything you want to add before we move on? Cool. So Ryan, QBot. What's QBot? Q- I touched on it a little bit at the beginning, but let's kind of – what is QBot um, and what are, what are they doing and why are we talking about them?
1: So QBot and and the the – Typical malware that they spread is is used to uh, steal bank credentials typically um, and and our, our good friends uh, black basta uh, have now teamed up with Q-Bot. Um and, and QBot is not uh, um, you know they, they've teamed up with other groups in the past mm-hmm. this is kind of the, the the scary situation where you know one cyber criminal group acting alone is is bad enough but when you get these guys teaming up and I, I think that's one of the other um disadvantages to them breaking up into these smaller groups is, is now they're all kind of working together. So you know, we instead of having, you know, a couple big groups that are all operating independently, now we've got hundreds of smaller groups that are all working together. So um, you know, in this story, it, it talks a lot about, you know, how QBot is getting in and, and doing their thing, but then they are now working with Black Basta to spread then laterally through the network using, you know, the combination of the 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 two tools that they use. And and it's just getting really scary out there with, with, you know, I think a lot
0: of people look at technology and this is a perspective. I kind of want to give people, people look at technology as like a one, a one attribute or one kind of sport, you know, thing. And it's not, it's, you know, being able to successfully achieve this stuff doesn't mean, you know, to use an analogy with sports, Usually you got to be good at baseball. You got to be good at, you know, there's very few people that are good at everything, right. That are good at, you know, Bo Jackson tried it, Michael Jordan failed at it, you know, where they tried to be good at right, professionals at two different sports. And that's kind of where we live in now. You're not going to be good at getting into networks and breaking in the networks and be good at writing code that deploys ransomware and stuff like that. So But I think the world has a perception that all IT guys are good at everything IT. And that's not the world we live in anymore. That's 1999 shit, right? Where you could hire one guy to run everything. In a similar sense that cyber defenders and and companies need to be hiring people with different skill sets, your CIO is really good at making the car run fast, but he's not making sure that everybody's gets inside the car, gets to their destination safely. That's what cybersecurity people do, right? And it's two different skill sets. It's two different personality styles. You're not going to get somebody who's good at creating networks and building infrastructure and writing code. They're not going to be good at making sure that process is being followed, that steps are being followed, that things are being properly buttoned up after, you know the guy goes in there and tries to figure out what the problem is with the firewall or whatever you know what i mean you got to have somebody going in behind them and saying that he you know flick off all the switches that he was flicking on and off as he was trying to fix this problem right that's a lot of times where we find problems we find that you know the the you know the shooting guard or the or the, or the guard comes in and he's really good at passing the ball but he's not so good at rebounding right and then you need a, a guy that's good at rebounding to come in and make sure that that's getting done and that's what cybersecurity and this world that we live in is and cyber criminals are 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 ahead of the game in most businesses in figuring this out right that we're not great at doing this let's hire somebody who is so we can get it done quicker faster better right and we'll do what we're good at which is you know get the ransomware on the system negotiate and get paid um so i don't know if you guys have anything else you want to add to this but again it's scary to me that they're building tools to automate all this well on on
1: top of the, the the having specialties i mean vulnerabilities aren't aren't easy to find and then once you find one that you can use to do something bad like this you know it, it's really valuable at that point. So yeah. you know, these these groups are are you know they have their own vulnerabilities and and so in this case, you know Qbot has a vulnerability that they use to get into the system and then Black Basta takes over and and uses that you know their vulnerability to move laterally. So when they combine all of these things, you know it just gets really scary really fast.
0: And the million dollar question that I want to ask like CEOs out there and people in charge of their companies IT and maybe cybersecurity, but the people in charge of the IT specifically, like, what are you doing to automate finding this stuff on your network? Because the cyber criminals already have the tools in place that once they break in, they're automating the process of finding how they can move laterally, as Ryan explained, and get into your network even deeper. Um, What are you doing from an automated standpoint to check your network? Because I guarantee you, Most companies out there don't even know that these tools exist that automate the ability to find vulnerabilities within your network. And it's a hell of a lot easier for you to find it because you have the credentials. You have the ability to type in the right credentials so we can discover this stuff. Cyber criminals have to figure it out, right? And Mm -hmm. they are figuring it out. They're very successful at what they do. So anything else you guys want to add? We're good. So, last one, Andre. Healthcare attacks increased ninety-four percent, or what? The, uh, I don't know what the time frame is for that, but that's kind of what we want to talk about. You know, we talk about governments. We've talked about colleges and universities lately. About five minutes we'll spend on this because I got to bounce. But healthcare ransomware attacks increased by ninety-four percent in twenty twenty-one. What's happening here?
3: Yeah, so I'll I'll go over some statistics and I guess we can use the final minutes just to talk about it. But this was a global survey of about 5,600 IT professionals, 34 countries. And um, some interesting one says, 66% of surveyed healthcare organizations said they had experienced a ransomware attack in 2021. 61% of healthcare organizations that suffered a ransomware attack paid the ransom. And then on average, after paying the ransom, They were only able to recover 65% of the encrypted data, and lastly, on average, the ransomware payment was about $197,000. So, um, my first thing is, if 66% of healthcare organizations say they experience a ransomware attack, I mean, if 66% of our customers got a ransomware attack, we're out of business. No one's trusting Mm -hmm. us anymore. So, like, that was like the biggest thing that 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 went for me was was about that that you know that this is happening at such a you would think three percent five percent ten percent sixty six percent six out of ten hospitals basically got attacked
0: so those of you who had the attitude that uh this is why i have cyber insurance and i don't need guys like us to help them with any of this stuff just buy cyber insurance and kind of do the basics you know get some endpoint protection and maybe some mfa right but the dad is in They've been looking at this for years now. The ability to get all of your data back has just decreased by 4% according to this data. So when paying the ransom, they were able to get about 70%, which sucks. Think about if your business got hit with ransomware, and at the end of the day, once you paid the ransom, you were still going to lose 30% of your data. That's what this information is telling you. Now, that's up 4% to 65%. So now you're even getting less data back today, right? So that, you know, we know this guys, we know Russian cyber criminals aren't that smart. They're not. People might think that they're super geniuses. They're, they have a, the wrong um, idea about these guys. They're not that smart. Number two, they write sloppy code because their code can't even decrypt most of the data that they, that they encrypt in the first place. And I'm going to stop talking because the other one that I want you guys to kind of wrap about is in 2020, 8% of healthcare organizations recovered all of their data after paying the ransom. 8%. That was in 2020. That figure fell to just 2% in 2021. So only 2% of the healthcare organizations got all of their data back after they paid the ransom. So, I mean, This is right of boom stuff. This is after the attack. And that's kind of what I want to focus on at the end of the show here, guys. It's like it's very expensive and there's no guarantees on the other side of this. And I think that's a a misperception that a lot of people have, that if I have insurance, I pay this ransomware, I'm going to get all my stuff back. I'm going to be back up and running in a couple of days. I think the other thing here, too, is is another thing that we hear is, oh, I've got backups,
1: so I'm good. If that many of them paid the ransom. You're not paying the ransom if you had a good backup either.
0: That's the first thing they go for. Yeah. And it's not even if you have good backups. Mm-hmm. You have got to air gap them. You got to keep them away from the hands of the cyber criminals, right? I I could be on your network for 200 days before I deploy your ransomware and the whole time mm-hmm. I could be fucking with your backups to make sure that when you go to try to recover with the, recover those backups that they don't it's not successful. Mhm. And I know that you have the, all the latest and greatest ones with the screenshots that come automatic and that tells you you're good. Unless you physically have somebody try to test restore that, you really have no idea. Those, those, those screenshots, yes, while they're effective, if you're relying on those as your sole reason for saying that you have good backups, you're swallowing a sugar pill. Is that it? I'm dropping the mic. <laughs>
2: We're done. I mean, you're right Mm -hmm. on there.
0: Yeah. So that's it. You know, that's the reality. That's the lesson learned for today. If you're in healthcare and you're not doing full test restores and you're not at the point where your disaster recovery and your incident response involves, you know, actually spinning up a uh, image in that server in the environment you say you're going to recover to and testing it out and seeing that, you know, the mouse moves and we can access all the applications. That's where you need to get to. And I know most businesses are not doing that. Most businesses are relying on their MSP to tell them that that data backup fired up a screenshot and we're good to go. We got the reports right here. Don't rely on that. It's not good enough. It's a good step in the right direction, but it's not good enough, right? So elevate your game and don't become, you know, part of the statistics that we just read out because it the numbers are bleak. Mm-hmm. I mean, 2%. Oh God, that's like as much fat that's in the milk I drink. <laughs> Randy, I thought you'd laugh at that one. It wasn't. All right, boys. I appreciate the input. Thank you so much. I gotta go bounce to a compliance meeting. Talk about cybersecurity compliance. So. Mm-hmm. See y'all guys in the uh, in the next episode. And uh remember, share our show. If you made it this far, you're a huge fan. Give us a review uh on your favorite podcasting platform, or just throw some comments on social media. We'd love to hear from you. So take care, everyone. See you in the next All episode.
2: Right. All right, bye bye.